good morning. I'm curious, how many of you know what this is right here? You might know what this is. I, heard, I hear a few ideas out there. No, no, this is not only a scrub brush. This is the latest source of conflict between me and my wife this week. You see, she has a very ridiculous idea that, um, I don't think she's in this service, but she has a very ridiculous idea that this should go into the washing machine, ever, or that'd be dishwasher, dishwasher every time you do the dishes. Every time. No, no, see, last night did the same thing and we didn't get off to a good start. I imagine the men in here would agree with me. You, look, this is what you scrape with, okay? And then you just wash it off and then you put it down and then the dishwasher cleans the dishes. And we don't need to clean this every time. Okay. She's even particular about how you load the dishwasher. What goes on top? What goes on bottom? I'm like, I just don't even care about that anymore. Right? But I mean, we argue over that. What she needs to care about, okay? What she needs to care about is what I care really deeply about. Now, I hate these things. You don't even know what they are, but these are blooms from my crepe myrtle in the backyard. And I have four kids and they go in and out of our back door often. And what inevitably happens is they track these stinking blooms into our house all the time. Or the wind blows it in. And there's just something when you come home from work, right? And you're trying to relax and you know you gotta do the dishes later. And you see these blooms all over your carpet. And by the way, five other people live with me. And I'm like, hey guys, I've been gone all day. And it's like, y'all are just living like this all day long while I'm gone, right? It's like, you don't even see them. Can anybody grab the vacuum and clean up the blooms? It drives me crazy. My wife's like, hey, it's more important to have clean dishes. <laughs> and I'm like, maybe. I just don't think we're gonna die. Isn't it funny what we tend to argue over? I mean, if you stop and think about it, the last thing you got in a fight over, I mean, do you look back now and just go, that was just silly. That was just downright stupid. Or how about this? How many, be honest, how many of you have been in an argument before and you get so far down the road and then you look at each other and you go, remind me. Like, what are we arguing about right now? Like, I need to know what position am I supposed to take? I've literally been there before. Where I go, I think I forgot what we're arguing about. Um, it, it, truth be told, in this room, there's probably two extremes and I know there's some people in the middle, but truth be told, there, there are some of us who love to argue about everything, right? I mean, candidly, that's a little bit of me. Often wrong, never in doubt, okay? <laughs> never in doubt. And, um, and then there's others of us who are on the other extreme, and candidly, we don't like to argue about anything. I mean, we just avoid conflict. We avoid arguing. We just don't want to get into it. When probably there's some things, hey, you know what? 
we should take a stand. Well, what about issues of faith? I mean, biblically speaking, are there some things that are worth contending for? Are there some things where we should say as believers, hey, you know that one right there? I can't overlook that. That one's one of those that I need to speak up. Today, we're gonna talk about what we need as believers to boldly stand for versus silly arguments that candidly, we just need to let go. And how to discern the difference between the two. Turn your Bibles, if you would, to uh, the book of Jude. Jude only has one chapter. You might miss it. It's at the very end of your Bible. You might miss it if you go too fast. <clears throat> so Jude, verse three. And we're, we're gonna look at only one verse, really. And out of that one verse, we're gonna just simply look at a phrase. Notice what he says. He says, beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to what? To contend for the faith. Underline that. I, wrote, I, I found it necessary to write to you that you would contend for the faith, quite literally, that you would wrestle, that you would stand for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. Well, inherently right here, Jude seems to be arguing, there's other many passages of scripture which Paul and others will argue that, hey, there are some issues that where we need to be willing to contend for the faith. So we're gonna answer this morning the question, what is the faith once for all delivered to the saints that we are to contend for? What is the faith that we're to contend for? What's he referring to? Why are we to contend for it? And how, just as importantly, how do we contend for it, right? Is it through Facebook? Is it through Twitter? Do we send out texts? Like, how do we contend for the faith in a way that honors people and glorifies God? Now, quite candidly, this is one of those messages. There's times where I give messages that I'm like, all right, I'm ready, let's roll, okay? It's straightforward. And then there's other messages I give and I go, okay, this is a very nuanced message. And um, I'm gonna ask you, hang with me here, okay? Because we're gonna talk about the essential beliefs of the Christian faith. And I wanna walk you through the difference between the essentials, the convictions, opinions, and questions. I'm gonna lay this out for you as clearly as I can. And I know there's gonna be room for confusion. And I wanna do my best to avoid that. But hang with me before you send me an email. Wait to the very end. And let's address each one of these questions because I think it's so important and vital for today. So what is the faith that we are to contend for? The faith that Jude is referring to refers to the essential beliefs of Christianity. The essential beliefs, or to use a church word, doctrines. The doctrines, the essential doctrines, the historic teachings of the Christian faith. Now what you may not know, which is really pretty cool to see, is that from the time of the apostles, the beginning of the church, the original 12, if you look at 1 Corinthians 15, you're gonna see what scholars believe Paul 
quotes a creed, a doctrine, a belief. And notice what he says. Now, he writes 1 Corinthians about 20 years after Christ's um, ascension. And in 1 Corinthians 15, verses three through five, he says this, for I delivered to you as of first importance, notice those words, first importance, what I also had received. And notice what he says. What was of first importance to Paul? What was it that Christians in the early church were already quoting and believing to be true? That Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the 12. What is the faith that we are to contend for, take a stand for, remain firm in, is the essential beliefs of the Christian faith, which are summarized right here in verses three through five. These, these beliefs include the, the doctrine of the Trinity, where in the Godhead you see unity, equality, and distinction. The depravity of man, our basic need, is because we're sinful people, we've rebelled against God. All of us have. And the wages of sin is death. We don't just experience a physical death, we experience a spiritual death. And there's nothing in and of ourselves that we can do to merit God's favor. Christians have always believed this. Since the time of Paul, the deity and humanity of Jesus Christ, that Jesus was fully God and fully man. And as fully God, he is without sin. As fully man, he could serve as our substitute on the cross and be the bridge between a sinful people and a holy God. Salvation by grace through faith alone, that if you trust in what Christ did for you, you can be rightly related to God once again. Not based on what you do, but simply receiving the gift. And the belief that Jesus Christ not only died, but he rose again, validating all that he claimed, said, and did, that we serve a living God who defeated death. And finally, that he's coming back. Those are the essentials which have united believers throughout history. They are what could be summarized again as just simply, who is Jesus? What was he doing on the cross? And is he coming back? What should we contend for at the very least? The essentials. Take away one of those and you no longer have Christianity. The essentials are what separate Christian from non-Christian. This candidly gang is why the Mormon doctrine is un-Christian. Regardless if it says church, Regardless of Jesus Christ is in its name, it is unorthodox, unbiblical, and counter to the historic claims of the faith. This is why Jehovah's Witnesses are unchristian because they deny the essentials of the faith, and you've got to realize that. You've got to know that there are those who use the same words that we use, but they have a different dictionary. And when they speak of Jesus, they think of something different than we think of. And it's counter to the historic claims that the Bible teaches. The essentials are the beliefs upon which the historic creeds of the faith were built. Perhaps if you grew up in, in churches where the creeds were recited every single week, or here sometimes we'll recite the Apostles' Creed. What are those essentials? 
Just what I said. The Trinity, the need of man, who Jesus is, what he was doing on the cross, his resurrection, and his return. It's not that you have to understand each of these fully, right? I mean, all of us are still sitting there around the mystery of the Trinity, and we're going, hey, now I know that's what Scripture teaches. I know it to be true. I, I will take a stand for that boldly. Okay, but I, I, I can't fully understand unity, equality, and distinction, but I believe it to be true. Wholeheartedly believe it to be true. It's not that you have to fully understand that in order to be Christian, but you must not refute it. My oldest daughter, she's looking at colleges, and uh, we were walking across the, uh, one particular campus, and um, there's this large church marquee, and, uh, and it says, freedom of belief, in all capital letters, red letters, freedom of belief, the church of, right? And then it says freedom of belief. Freedom of belief. Like what in the world? Freedom of belief. Think about that. Freedom of belief. And essentially what it said was, come here and you can believe whatever you want to believe. There is no absolute truth, which I want to walk in and go, isn't that a self-refuting statement? There is no absolute truth and yet you're claiming that to be true. Nonetheless, let's think about that for a second. Um, but I just looked at her and I go, I said, hey, Avery, now you're gonna go to college and there's gonna be certain ministries surrounding every campus we look at in churches. And they're all gonna say, hey, come here. We wanna love, we wanna welcome you. But you better be careful. You better be discerning because not all of them hold to the essentials that have united Christians since the beginning of the early church. Don't be mistaken. Read, discern, understand doctrine. It's vitally important. If essentials are what define Christian from non-Christian, the, the next rung, if you will, in this little target or what I would call convictions, convictions. Now, although not essentials, they're vitally important. Convictions are the beliefs that separate denominations. What's a denomination? It's a, it's a, it's a family of faith, a Baptist, a Presbyterian, an Episcopalian. A conviction, convictions are the beliefs that separate denominations, but notice this, listen carefully, and impact the health and vitality of a church. Although not essential, of great importance. Of great importance. You see, historically, Christians, have, they've disagreed. They're looking at and reading the same Bible. They've disagreed over how a church should be run. There's congregationally led. That would be a Baptist church. There's elder led. That'd be a Presbyterian church. They've disagreed over a baptism, the mode of baptism. You walk in and you speak to a Presbyterian minister about baptism and you'll see, a you'll see a baby being baptized. You walk into a Baptist church, you'll never see that. But yet they agree on the essentials, but their convictions, reading the same Bible, they go, wait a minute. And the other guy is going, I think you're wrong. And the reality is, one's wrong. 
and one's right. One's biblical and one is unbiblical. They can't both be right. But that is why we have a separation in denominations. Not only that, people have disagreed over the relationship between God's sovereignty and man's responsibility. Historically, it's been called Calvinism versus Arminianism. You may be familiar with that. I've heard of that. They disagreed over the end times. There's premillennialism and amillennialism and on and on. I could go on and on. And more recently, more recently, which is so important to realize, there has come even more divisions of belief and thought within the church that has radically impacted the health and the vitality of the church. And there are some who are kind of like, you know, it's not that big a deal. Let's just all get along, group hug. I mean, we agree with the essentials, right? So it's okay. I mean, really, what's the big deal about it? And I'm like, it's a huge deal. It's a huge deal. And now you see churches who are, who are giving ground on, on issues around sexuality and marriage, sanctity of life. And I just sit there and I go, hey, gang. Hey, there's, there's areas where you look at the Bible and I go, hey, I can see how you may disagree. And there's other areas I sit there and go, if you hold to the word of God, I don't see any way you can get there. I don't see any way you can get there. Again, although not considered essentials, these issues impact the vitality and the health of a church. And we cannot be glib and simply pass over these differences just in the effort so that we could all get along. Al Mohler, who is the president of Southern Seminary, a man who I respect a lot, he wrote, a structure of theology does not imply that Christians may take any biblical truth with less than full seriousness. We are charged to embrace and to teach the comprehensive truthfulness of the Christian faith as revealed in the Holy Scriptures. There are no insignificant doctrines revealed in the Bible, but there is an essential foundation of truth that undergirds the entire system of biblical truth. What's he saying? He's saying, hey, look, yes, we acknowledge there are essentials, but there are convictions that we can't just simply pass over We want to remain firm where the Bible is firm. We want to remain flexible where the Bible is flexible. And over the next seven weeks, the reason why I'm giving this message today is over the next seven weeks, we're gonna look at seven essential beliefs that to be a member at Watermark, this is what we believe. This is where we stand. These are the beliefs upon which our elders have drawn a very strong red line. This is where we as a family are gonna stand. People come to me often because I help with the equipping ministry and they, they want to join our church and yet what they believe is counter to what we hold in our convictions and I just simply tell them, listen, I love you, I respect your belief, I wholeheartedly disagree Okay, and to be a member here, this is what we hold to. And there's always this sense of like, yeah, but can I talk to the elders? Like, can I go above your head? I'm like, you can talk to them. But let me just tell you something. These are non-negotiable for us. Now, we acknowledge the essentials. 
And you may believe the essentials. God bless you. But there is a, a strong red line here that is important that we understand. And as believers at Watermark, as a family of believers, every year we affirm these essentials in our 4B form. When you become a member, we say, hey, as a family, this is what we agree to. And we are strong that the Bible is the inspired word of God. We're strong in the believing the Trinity. We're strong that God created us in his image, male and female. We believe in marriage. That's a lifelong covenant between a man and a woman. And you're gonna hear about all these the next seven weeks. What we believe and why we believe it, why it's significant. Now notice this, I told you there's a strong red line right here. The, the mistake of the liberal church, okay, is they've taken what is core, what is in the center, and they have driven it out. And then they have questioned each of these. This is no longer what is essential. This is no longer what is historic Christian faith. Many of liberal churches have taken that and rejected it and now deny what Christians have held to for years. And it's tragic, and it's confusing, and it's unbiblical, and it's wrong. The next little rung here, if you will, is what I refer to as opinions. Now, these are issues that are less clear and candidly not really worth dividing over. But yet, something Christians, folks who go to Watermark, fight over. And, you, and it's okay to disagree over these. But I think you need to stop and go, hey, let's just acknowledge this isn't a conviction. This isn't an essential. Right? And, and I know you do. You, you disagree with these things because I've, I've been a part of these conversations. Let me just give you an example. Hey, how to educate our kids. There's some of you who are sitting there going, man, send your kid to public school. All right? Sink or swim, go in there, wrestle with ideas, train them up, public school. There's others of you who have hold another opinion. It's like, no, it is only a Christian education. Are you throwing your kids out to the wolves? You crazy? And then there's others of you who are like, no, it is a homeschool education. There is no other education. I feel called by God to educate my kids, to homeschool them. And, uh, and you've been there before because you're in community groups. And your community group is divided over that. I know that to be true. I've heard some of you. I've talked to some of you. And I just sit there when people ask me that, I go, well, tell me about your kid. Tell me about your family life. Tell me about why you're making the decision you're making. Let's talk about it. Let's, what would wisdom have us do? But, but let's, let's be clear though. This is an opinion. This doesn't make you unchristian. But it sure is confusing because some of us, we argue these positions of opinion as fiercely and as vehemently as we do the essentials and the convictions. I'm like, bro, do you feel that strongly about the resurrection of Christ? I mean, come on. I mean, when was the last time you argued that strongly for the resurrection that you are right now about how you educate your kids? You know, we disagree over matters of conscience, right? Should I see this movie? You see the movie, I don't see the movie. You have a glass of wine, I don't have a glass of wine. Then we're like, oh, I don't know what to do, you know. There's differences of opinion. 
And where it gets even more muddied, candidly, is some people go, well, you're saying that's an opinion issue. No, I think that's a conviction issue. And some people go, no, that's a conviction issue. And but you know what? It leads to good conversation. That's why this is helpful, a conversation to sit there and go, hey, where do you put this? Or who to vote for? You know, the, the last little area right here is I just put, I titled this questions. We just have questions, okay? You know where you, the best example of questions what about the dinosaurs, okay? If I get another email or question about the dinosaurs, like I just go, oh my gosh. People care so much about the dinosaurs. We, we have this ministry called Great Questions on Monday nights. And people literally walk in, they're like, hey man, I, I, you know, what about the dinosaurs? And, and this is where it's just helpful to go, hey, you know what? I wanna give you a grid in which to think about this. You don't have to even agree with me about the dinosaurs. I have an opinion, I'll respect your opinion, but let's return again to this thing called the resurrection. Let's talk about what is essential. You don't, hey gang, you don't have to have everybody agree with you on every single point in order for them to become Christian. Let me see if I can say this a whole nother way. Let's change this, okay? Um, now, if uh, you're from the South, you take pride in being from the South, right? Yeah, thank you. <laughs> Somebody's listening and amen. That's exactly right. People from the South take pride in being from the South. And when you think about, hey, what do you consider Southern? Well, an essential belief if you are Southern is that you love barbecue. That's just true, okay? That's just true, that is an essential. I place it there as a good Southern boy that you have to love barbecue. Now, I recognize that we are from the great state of Texas where everything is bigger and better in Texas. Therefore, I hold the conviction that brisket is real barbecue. Okay. Now there's some people who, although are from the South, granted, I will give them that they're from this little state called Tennessee and they hold to Memphis barbecue or pulled pork. Now that's great, but that's not real barbecue. Okay. I mean, that, that's not real barbecue. It's pulled pork, okay? So we all understand as good Southerners, as Texans, right? There is a love for barbecue. We all agree with that. Convictions, we're sitting there, we're going, eh. Memphis, Texas barbecue, there's a difference. I'll recognize you're from the South, but we divide over this. One is right, one is definitely wrong. <laughs> then we have opinions, okay? And this is where even as Texans, we disagree, right? You may like uh, sweet barbecue sauce. I might like spicy or hot barbecue sauce. That's okay. Or there may be some of you, if you're truly, truly Southern Texas brisket, you're like, man, I don't even want any sauce. Okay, that's fine. And then, and then there are the questions. You know, like my wife and I have had discussions like, 
is the onion ring a vegetable? <laughs> Does that count? How about if we put the onion ring on green bean casserole? Certainly then it counts as a vegetable. You see, there's, there's silly example is that there's a priority of belief, right? And we do this all the time. We do this all the time. But the mistake, I mentioned the mistake of the liberal church is just to forego the essentials and the convictions. The mistake of the fundamentalists is to take what's on the outside, the questions and the opinions and drive everything to the essential. That's another mistake. You can't take, I literally was stopped at Baylor University. Listen, I'm a freshman at Baylor. I'm on the top of a parking garage with about 20 people, convertible down, stereo blaring, country music, and a bunch of people, zero alcohol, and we're dancing. And no kidding, campus police comes and tells us, can't dance. Can't dance on this property. That's how long ago I went to Baylor. Now you can dance all you want. <laughs> bunch of liberals. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> But I just sit there and go, man, I can't believe it. Like, you know, of all the things I could call my mom about, hey, mom, got in trouble with the police tonight. Oh, no. Yeah, I was caught dancing with a bunch of friends. <laughs> Seems ridiculous. Why are we to contend for the faith, gang? There's some things that we just need to be strong and stand for. And why should we stand for it so strongly? Why do we wanna talk about the essentials? Why do we wanna talk about our convictions and go, hey, on that one, I'm not moving. It's because doctrine protects us from error. Those convictions, those beliefs, they protect us from error. You see so many warnings in scripture, right? I mean, 2 Timothy 4, what does he say? I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead. And by his appealing in his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort. You see that? Some things are worth standing on. Reprove, rebuke, exhort. Take a stand. Contend for the faith but do it with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. But having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. We've got to teach doctrine. We've got to understand our faith. It's worth coming for the next seven weeks to understand what we believe because it protects us from error. You see, the Bible tells us it's made up of 66 books. There's history books, there's poetical books, there's prophetical books, there's letters, there's gospels, apocalyptic books. But all 66 books, they tell one story. It's the story of reality. Hang with me, a little philosophical. It's a story of reality. It's not just a story about spirituality. It speaks to every area of our lives. This is why Proverbs starts by saying, hey, the beginning of wisdom is the fear of God. Get the God question right and everything else makes sense. 
The Bible helps us understand who we are, where we came from, why we are here, where we find meaning, where we're going. It teaches us we're created in the image of God, that our sin is what is separated from him. That's the problem, but there is a solution and it's found in Christ. And everybody who trusts in him, they will find healing. They will one day be freed from the burden of sin. But see, the naturalist holds a very different point of view. The naturalist holds the viewpoint that, hey, we're, no, we're, we're not here because God created us in his image. We're here because of time plus matter plus chance. That's why we're here. What an erroneous belief. One's right and one's dead wrong. They believe the biggest problem is, is, is a lack of time, that we just haven't had the time to evolve. And solution is found through greater education, greater healthcare, and more time. And does history have a purpose? Is it going anywhere? What will happen after we die? There's nothing. That's the naturalist view. That is their belief. That is their doctrine. And if you don't understand what scripture says, then you're gonna fall error. You're gonna fall prone to what it is that the Bible will go, that's simply dead wrong. One man I respect a lot, an author, John Stone Street, he said this, ideas have consequences and bad ideas have victims. And that is true. You see, these aren't just some nebulous ideas that are out there, right, that have no impact. No, they have consequences and bad ideas have victims. And gang, if you consider the naturalist world view, it has had devastating effects on our country in the sanctity of life, both in the womb and the elderly. Devastating effects. Why are, we, why are we to contend for the faith? Because it protects us from error, number one, and it provides instruction for living, number two. It provides instruction for living. Theology matters, gang. Every one of you is a theologian. Every one of you makes theological decisions. Every single day, you have to understand that. Stop thinking of theology as what you, the professor at seminary does. No, you make theological decisions every day. Even the atheist makes a theological decision because he rejects God, which is a theological decision. How you spend your money is a theological decision. How you care for the sick is a theological decision. How you view your neighbor, whether or not you, you resolve conflict, each of these are informed by what you believe about God. Belief drives behavior. Belief drives behavior. When the goal is not just to make smarter sinners, right? We don't stand up here so we can all have just more intellectual understanding. Oh, that's what the Bible says. No, the Bible was written so that we would not just have an understanding of what's true, but that it would impact our hearts and our hands and everything in the way which we live. We're reading through the book of Romans right now. And in Romans 12, one through, through two, a familiar passage, he says, Paul says, I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not conform, be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. 
that by testing you may discern what the will of God is, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Notice this, Paul spends 11 chapters giving you belief before he ever addresses behavior. 11 chapters. Because belief drives behavior. The reason why we have to understand doctrine and the essential beliefs and the convictions and why they are important, and we have to be discerning is because belief drives behavior. If you really believe the Bible is the word of God, I mean, if you really believe that, wouldn't you think you'd read it? I mean, if you believe that there's a God in heaven who loves you, who is all-powerful, all-knowing, and cares about you, don't you think you'd spend more time in prayer? If you believe that Jesus Christ is the only means of salvation, really believe that Jesus Christ is the only means of salvation, don't you think you would tell somebody? See, we don't have a discipline problem. Oh, I'm just not disciplined to get in God's word. No, we have a belief. We have a faith problem. We have a theological problem. We don't really believe that prayer changes things. Not like we say we do. Now, we may sign the doctrinal statement. I believe it. But too many of us live by an accidental faith. We live by an accidental faith. A belief that, think about it like this. I grew up in a Christian home. If you would have asked me, hey, what do I believe? I would have told you what I believed by accident. It was more of a said faith. But then when trials would come or temptations would come, I didn't know what to stand on. That's different than a saving faith and one that's based on evidence where I've investigated a matter and I go, I believe that to be true to my core. And because of that, it has fundamentally radically changed my life. Third reason why we've got to study this, why we've got to be theologically discerning is because doctrine promotes unity. It promotes unity. We've got to know as believers, as a family of faith at Watermark, hey, what do we believe and why? There's no way the elders of our church who are entrusted to lead our church can lead us effectively. Do you know that the Bible says, think about this, that they are going to give an account before God before how they lead this church? Think about that responsibility. Stand before God and how they led this church. There's no way they can actually do that if, it's, if you can just, well, just believe what you wanna believe. No, no, we've gotta have a unity of belief. We've gotta look and search at the scriptures and go, hey, this is what the scriptures teach. This is what I'm standing on. Ephesians 4, one through six, <clears throat> Paul says this, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you, were, you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity, circle that word, the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. Verse four, there is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. Ephesians 1 through 3, doctrine, belief. Ephesians 4 through 6, duty, 
response, behavior. Once you understand this, once you hold on to this, man, you're unified. You're unified. So how are we to contend for this? Just real practically speaking, shared a lot with you. How would you contend for the faith? Just as importantly, the way I would say it is you, you look at these structures again and you think about the essentials. I would tell you when it comes to the essentials, you are bold. You're bold. We do not waver on the resurrection. We do not waver on the deity and humanity of Christ. We do not ra- waver that we are saved by grace through faith alone, period. I'm bold. On the convictions I try to remain humble. I try to remain humble. I recognize that there's men like Tim Keller, who's a Presbyterian minister and a a man I greatly respect, who has learned, understood, and forgotten more theology than I've ever known. But I simply disagree with his view on baptism. But I'm humble before him in that regard. And I go, hey, you know what? I could be wrong. I don't think I am. I don't think I am. But I respect him. I learn from him. I'm grateful for him, very grateful for him. And I wanna listen. Now there's some convictions, gang, which candidly I put in another category and I go, hey, that's not a conviction, that's a sin issue. And I'm gonna be stronger on sexuality and marriage in issues like that that is confusing the church right now. Now, hopefully I'm always gonna remain humble, but I'm gonna be strong. On issues of opinion, I'm gonna be respectful. I just realized, hey man, there's room for disagreement. And I respect the fact that you wanna educate your kids like that. And I'd ask that you'd respect that my wife and I, we prayerfully consider how we're educating our kids. And maybe the way in which you educate one kid in your home is different than the way you educate the next kid. I mean, it's different for everybody. But I want to respect that. And then finally, there's just questions. And I want to be wise. I want to recognize what is truly just a question. I want to, I want to recognize that, you know what? There is a difference between kind of the outer ring and the inner ring. I don't want to look at the guy who comes with great questions and he's all concerned about the dinosaurs and fight over that. Now, I remember not long ago, one of my neighbors, she was, uh, this is when Watermark, we were meeting in a high school. And we had just had a uh, baptism service at Turtle Creek. And uh, if you're familiar with Turtle Creek, that is some nasty water. And uh, they dye it green because the natural color would probably be pretty bad. And, um, and we just chose to go by faith, no one would die getting baptized in that part. And uh, maybe by drinking the water, right? You may get gangrene or something like that. But, you know, we, we were doing these baptism services. And rightfully so, my, my friend who, who was my neighbor at the time, I just remember her standing over me. She's taller than me, standing over me. She has this glass of wine and she's like, Blake, Blake, what are y'all doing in that park? And I'm like, what do you mean? She goes, you're baptizing people in the park. That water's nasty. 
and you go to this church, you're in a high school. That's just weird. It's weird. And I'm listening to her, you know, and I'm just sitting there, and I, I sit there and I go, you know what? She is, she's attempting candidly to love me. Because I remember her looking at me just going, like, what are they gonna say about your kids? People are gonna invite your kids over to play. Then they're gonna find out you're at that weird church that baptizes people in the park. You're gonna invite them to go to a high school, which is a church. That's weird. You should be concerned about your kids, right? And I just become strong. And you know what? I did not look at this neighbor and sit there and I go, oh, you know what? Let's talk about the merits of baptizing in the park. I just looked at her respectfully and I go, hey, you know what? I respect your opinion. I, I think you're telling me that because you care about me and you have true questions. But let's do this. If you'll do me this favor, let's talk about this. Hey, who do you believe Jesus is? Why was he on the cross? Do you think he rose again? That changed our conversation. I can't expect somebody who doesn't know the Lord to have the same theological and same worldview I have. And I shouldn't demand for her to have that or be understanding. I should look weird. That's what baptism is. <laughs> A willingness to raise your hand and go, I'm going to live differently because of what I believe. What's crazy though, is through time and through many conversations, my same neighbor who looked at me and said, that's so weird came to trust Christ. And that same neighbor, within a year later, I baptized in that park. <laughs> and I held her down just a little longer. <laughs> and then I baptized her husband. And now her husband works on our staff. Gang, I can't tell you how important it is to know your Bible, to realize that doctrine, that belief influences behavior. Understand who you're talking to when you're having conversations. Quit getting pulled off sides on Facebook about the dinosaurs. Talk to people about Jesus. Don't capitulate the convictions. Don't just in an effort to get, oh, we just all wanna get along, so we should just, okay. That's not healthy. It's not helpful. It's not biblical. Know your Bible. Love people. Point them to Christ. Father in heaven, I wanna thank you for your kindness toward us and that, oh, just thinking about my friend gets me emotional. because I realize you change lives. And what we're talking about changes lives. There's people in here this, today who have been confused about what Christians believe because we've been focusing on dinosaurs. They're confused because churches are punting the historic convictions of the faith. Liberal churches are just acquiescing what is true. Oh, Lord. Help us. Help us to say, to, to live what we say we believe. Help us to walk faithfully, to be bold, to be humble, to be respectful, to be wise.
to be clear in our thinking, to love people, Lord. Thank you that it is you who have given us the eyes to see and the ears to hear, that our lives are changed, that we're a new creation, that we have hope, that we don't live as the naturalist, but we live as the Christian. We thank you. In Christ's name.